Amen, amen. Um, this is one of those kind of days where I started with the sleeves down and they're already up. So uh, if it gets any hotter, I don't know what I'm going to do. They're going to come up to here. So, but I thank you guys for being here. Good morning. I hope you had a good a good weekend. If it's your fir- if you're new here uh, and it's your first time worshiping with us, man, we're so pumped that you're here. Um, we actually have a gift that we'd love to give you today. And so uh, in the in the lobby of our church is what we call Next Steps. If you'll take the card from the back of the seat in front of you. And drop it by Next Steps on your way out. We've got a free t-shirt that we'd love to give you today. Um, and also just a bag with some information about our church. And so just to thank you for being here and to let you know uh, that we appreciate you. And um, we had a, had a great first service with guests in the house. And it was it's, it's great to be gathered back together for our second service here. And um, today we are kicking off a new series. Well, actually, what we call a together series, okay? If you're new uh, to Lindsay Lane East, you may not be familiar with that term, or even if you are, you may have, uh, it's, not, it's still kind of a new term for us. But what that means is this is a sermon series that we're preaching across all three of our campuses. And uh, so today, gathered at our Athens campus, our Elmont campus, and here in Harvest, uh, we're going to be all be looking at uh, beginning this study through the Gospel of Mark. And so if you've got a Bible, you can go on and open up to Mark. It'll be the second book of your New Testament. Um, but... When uh, it's only going to be a four-week series, and I know what you're thinking. Four weeks? A whole book? You're going to study the whole life of Jesus in four weeks? No. So when we got together as teaching pastors, uh, one of the things we talked about was we want to study through a gospel this year. And so the three of us as teaching pastors, we sat down and we decided on Mark for its simplicity and straightforwardness. Um, it's going to take us about 12 weeks to get through everything that we want to cover. But none of us like this. We're all a little too crazy. Uh, in our preaching to uh, stick to something for 12 straight weeks. Um, and oftentimes it, it can get uh, it can get repetitive in some of the things we're saying. So what we wanted to do was split up into three different parts. And Mark breaks down great for that. So we're going to study. We're, this is part one of the series, uh, looking at chapters one through eight. We're calling that ministry to the multitudes. We're looking at the interactions um, that Jesus has with lar- the large crowds of people. This is what Mark starts his gospel with. Uh, then in March... We're going to do part two, which is ministry to the disciples, as we see Jesus beginning to spend more time with them towards the end of his life. And then we'll wrap it up in July uh, with part three, ministry to the nations, as we look at Christ's sacrifice uh, for all people. And so uh, we're going to move through, definitely not looking at every single verse, um, just kind of looking at some larger context, uh, because we think that's important to understand the Bible. So this morning, I think it's important, before we begin, that we understand some basic things about the book itself as we start this study. And really, today's overarching theme is we're going to look at what was the main point behind what Jesus did was doing on the earth. And so uh, we're going to kind of look at the message of Jesus today. And so I'm going to read the first eight verses of Mark 1, and then I'll pray, and then we'll come back and talk about it. This is the word of the Lord. Beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John wore camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, one who is more powerful than I am is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, that, uh, that we, as we say each week, we know your word is true. 
and God, that it speaks directly into our lives and into all of our different circumstances. And so, Father, I pray that today as we open up your word, uh, especially Mark chapter 1, God, that you just give us clarity uh, to understand the, the big thing of what's going on, God, and not get caught up necessarily in all the tiny little details that can distract us, but, God, that we can see the overarching message of Christ laid out. Um, so, Father, I pray that today you would teach us to know you and that you would be with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you're new to your Bible, uh, if you're new to church, new to the Bible, uh, you need to know it's made up of two parts. Uh, the first two-thirds or so of the Bible is what we call the Old Testament. Um, and what that does, it tells the story of God's relationship with mankind from the creation of everything all the way up through about 400 years before Jesus is born. Okay, that's the Old Testament. Okay, The New Testament, which is the last third of your Bible, um, it picks up after those 400 years. <laughs> we got nothing in the 400, okay? But we're picking up after the 400 with the birth of Jesus and with his life, his death, burial, and resurrection. And then the story continues to tell us about how these, how these first generation of Jesus followers tried to figure out what it looked like to follow Jesus, what it looked like to love one another, and what it looked like to impact the nations for the cause of Christ. Um, and so that's kind of the book. So the first four books of that New Testament are what we call the Gospels. Gospel is just a word that means good news. And so because they're telling the story of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, it's good news for us, for all of us. And so they're called the Gospels. And so the second one is Mark, and that's what we're going to be studying. And so um, you see the word gospel right at the very beginning, Mark 1.1. 1, 1, this is the, or the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, the Son of God. And so uh, as we begin to, to see what Mark's got going on, Mark begins his gospel in a very different way. All four of the guys who wrote the first four books of the Bible, the first four books that we call the Gospels, um, they, they all begin in a different way. See, Matthew and Luke, they begin with the birth of Christ. Um, if, you, if your family reads like some Christmas story at Christmas time about Jesus' birth, it's probably Luke or Matthew. It's one of those two, right? And so Matthew tells the story of Jesus' miraculous birth, but he does it in such a way that he grounds it in the story of God's people from the Old Testament, the Israelites. He uses imagery, and he, talks, he tells the story of, uh, of Mary and Joseph having to go to Egypt, which, again, for the Israelite people, they know the story. They know that our people have been in Egypt before, and it was rough. And so Matthew's telling this story to the Jewish people. He's retelling it. Luke comes, and so Luke tells the story not from a Jewish perspective, but more from a Gentile perspective, which means not Jewish. So that's one that we oftentimes connect with. And Luke's telling that, again, to Luke and Matthew are telling the story so that the first generation of Christians know the life of Christ. Have you ever thought about that? Like, we're so, we're so uh, settled, so, I don't know the word, but we're so used to having God's word, the New Testament. Like, we've got four Gospels that tell us about Jesus' life, and we've got all these letters to Paul, or from Paul, that tell us about how we're supposed to look as the church. The first generation of believers had none of that. All they had was the verbal stories that they had heard about Jesus' life. Most of the first century Christians didn't get to see Jesus live. Like, he, he just died and, and like, was raised from the dead. And him, he, a lot of people saw him, but not a lot of people around the world. And so there are people now gathering that have never heard the name of Jesus, but they know that Jesus has changed their life. And so these Gospels in the New Testament were so important. These four Gospels especially were important to teach the early church what Jesus accomplished and what his message really was. And you got John, which is the fourth one. And John doesn't go back to the beginning of Jesus' life. He goes all the way back to the beginning. 
And he actually begins, in the beginning was the word, right? And he begins to tell us that Jesus is not just some man who was born, but Jesus is the son of God who has always been. And he's an eternal being who everything was created through him. And so that's John, and John kind of lays that out for us. And both of those make a ton of sense, uh, beginning with his birth or beginning at the very beginning. But Mark doesn't do that either. (laughs) Mark begins with the ministry of Jesus. He begins with a guy named John, okay? Uh, Let me read that to you again, just a couple verses there. He says, uh, Mark says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, see, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He'll prepare your way, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight his path, or make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Mark doesn't talk about Jesus first. And that's important. It's important for you to recognize that John, Mark begins in such a way that he talks about this guy named John, the guy we call John the Baptizer here at East, okay? John the Baptizer. He's the one who was baptizing people in the Jordan River. Um, He's actually Jesus' cousin. Um... And Mark tells us he was a strange dude. Did you catch that when I read? Like the weird random verse that describes how he looks in his diet. Um, I'll read it to you again in case you somehow missed it. John wore a camel hair garment a garment with uh, a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. That's as random as it seems. Like that should seem random to you. Why are you giving us this information, Mark? Mark wants you to know he's a weirdo. Like, that's what you're supposed to take away, that John was living in such a way that he wasn't trying to put on. He wasn't trying to be uh, something that he wasn't. And even though he was a strange dude living off the land, avoiding a lot of city life, dressing in camel hair, which had to be itchy, but he develops quite a following. A lot of people start coming to him. And and John, what we find out in the Gospel of Mark is that John plays a huge role in the debut of Jesus. So if you're a note taker, that's where we're starting. Jesus' debut. John recognized his calling from God. John the baptizer, he recognized his calling from God was that he was not a big deal. Right? He knew people would think that he was so different and such a powerful speaker that people would begin to think that he was the Messiah, which is the Hebrew word for the one that God had promised from the very beginning that would come and restore all things. And so... Uh, this was the one who had been promised to God's people, but John is John knows that's not me. But he knew that people were going to think he was. But that's why John quotes the book of Isaiah, which is in the Old Testament, and he says, "I'm here to simply pave the way for the Messiah that's coming." And then he tells this about the Messiah. Think of the, think about the heaviness of this statement. This is a guy that everybody's coming to. Everybody thinks John is the man. He's awesome. He's incredible. And he says this: one who is more powerful than I am is coming after me. And I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You see, John is trying to prepare the people for the Messiah's coming, who we know is Jesus. He knows that when the Messiah comes, Jesus is going to intensify the way that we interact with God. That's why he can say that he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. If you're familiar with the Bible, in the New Testament, we see a lot of Holy Spirit talk. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. It's all over the place. And a lot of people would lead you to believe that that the Holy Spirit's not present in the Old Testament, that he's just like napping. Like God created everything, 
through, and Jesus was there, we got that, but the Holy Spirit's just hanging out, just hiding. But like, that's not the truth. What we see in the Old Testament is the Holy, the Holy Spirit does come and, and rest on people and, and fill people to accomplish great things throughout the history of the Israelites. Almost every incredible man or woman of God that God uses in the Old Testament, at some point, it'll say, God filled him with the Spirit. And it may have been for a little bit, and then he took it away. Um, but we see that. John's referring to here something that's coming with Christ, a filling of the Holy Spirit that happens to every believer when we trust in Christ. Paul expounds on it a whole lot in his letters uh, later on in the New Testament. But this, this is what John's referring to. And so then we get that little taste. John says that, that, hey, there's a guy coming that I'm not even fit to untie his sandals. And, and then the story skips forward to that very moment. And remember that John has just said, there's a Messiah coming that I, I, I'm, I'm unworthy to be with. And then we see in verse 9, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. Can you imagine? When John said, I'm not fit to untie his sandals, Jesus comes and says, baptize me. I was like, dude, I can't even touch your feet, let alone your face and your body. Like, what are you talking about? And Mark doesn't go into detail about it, but we know just from what's been said that this had to be a totally overwhelming moment for John. But John is used in this moment to bring Jesus to the forefront. John would have, John would have been unimaginably, be unimaginably broken in this moment to baptize who he knows is the Messiah. But then we see this in verses 10 and 11. It gets, up, it gets carried up a notch. Y'all remember Emerald when he was a thing? Remember Emerald? Bam, kick it up a notch. Anyway, all right. As soon as Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. It's this moment as Mark baptizes Jesus, which was overwhelming enough, and it says as he comes up out of the water, that the Spirit of God descends on Jesus in some form that all they could describe it as is, is like a bird. And they see it, and then they hear a voice from heaven say, this is my son, and I'm really pleased with him. Like, that, that got out of hand, right? This baptism, that's never happened here in a baptism. Like, we've never heard a voice from heaven during a baptism here at East, as far as I know. I've only been here for the last 25 or so. But I don't know of any that have happened that here. But this is what we see Jesus. And so, man, we don't know how many were there to witness. We know John had a pretty big following. But when you hear a voice from heaven and you see the Spirit of God descending on somebody, you're going to tell somebody, right? Like, you're going to go home and just sit on that, write it in your diary and close it up? No, the, what we know is that after this happened... There had to be folks that begin to share this. And so the, the story of, hey, there's something going on in a man that, that we don't know really anything about right now. But there's something cool going on. And so Jesus then, Mark tells us that he takes about 40 days to, to prepare for the ministry that lies ahead of him. And he does it through fasting and through solitude, just getting away from everybody. And it's after that we've got Jesus' debut, which is this really cool moment. But then we begin to get a glimpse of Jesus' message. Um. In verse 14, you see, after John was arrested. So i got to tell you just quickly, don't have time to go into the whole story, but John ticks off a local leader because the local leader was doing some really shady stuff. And he was like, hey, John, I need you to sign off on that. I need you to tell everybody that's good. And John's like, nah, dude. 
that's that's awful. You're a that's a sin, and so you arrest him for it. Um, but anyway, it's at this moment that Jesus begins his teaching ministry. After John is arrested, it, it was a common thing for skilled teachers to travel around from city to city. They would go and they would teach in the synagogues, which was kind of just a, a place of learning. But Jesus kind of had a unique message. Look at this in verses 14 and 15. This is the message he had. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. And this is what he said. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So Jesus was a, Jesus was a Jewish man teaching mostly in Jewish circles. As we've kind of already talked about, the Jews were a people who were waiting. They knew that God had told them, if you read the Old Testament, it's constantly God going, I mean, I've got something good for y'all, but you've got to follow me. And then they don't. And then God says, I've got something good for you, just follow me. And they don't. And, but all along the while, God promises that he's sending someone soon that is going to, to radically change the way that they interact with him, this Messiah. And so they're constantly waiting Waiting and waiting and waiting. And they had experienced blessing in the past from God uh, through a lot of really cool moments. And right now they're living in the land that, that, that God had promised them a long, long time ago. They're in. They're, they've got a temple in Jerusalem. Like they're hanging out. But they don't own the land. They're living in the middle of the Roman Empire. Rome owns everything. <laughs> everything. And so... They're there, but, but they don't own the land. And so they're still waiting on this Messiah that God had, had continued to remind them was coming. They knew that he was going to turn things around, that he would bring the kingdom of God to the earth. That's what Jesus says is happening here. He says the kingdom of God has come near. But Jesus and the other Jews are not on the same page. Um, and you can't fault the Jews much on that. And... Uh, I'd ask this, but you may say something different than me, and then we'll have to disagree. So I want to ask the question. But to me, when I look back at the Israelites' history, I would say that the peak for them, the peak that everybody talks about with everything that they go back to, was a moment in which King David sat on the throne. King David was, uh, was in a lot of sense, a godly man. The, the last song we sang is, is words directly from a song that he wrote thousands of years ago. And so... David was the king, and to them, this was when they, they owned the most amount of land, and they had a powerful military. Like all the stats that ancient nation leaders like keep track of, people, land, money, like all that, this was the peak. And this is why the Jews expected a military leader. The only way that they could envision the kingdom of God on earth was through a kingdom on earth. Like they had to have a king. If God's going to bring it, it's going to be through a king because that's what I remember. That's what my grandpappy told me was the best time in our family's past was when a king, a godly king, sat on the throne. There's a Messiah coming. He must be a king who's going to sit on the throne. But notice what Jesus' message is not in, your, in the word. It's not the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, get your guns and be ready. Right? It's not sharpen your swords, fellas. It's go time. That's not Jesus' message. The way to prepare for the kingdom's coming, Jesus says, is not by preparing physically, but by preparing spiritually. What does Jesus say? He says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent 
and believe the good news. What does repentance have to do with a government overthrow? Right? What do we need to repent for? We just need swords and we need people. And we need the Messiah to go and to kick the door down of the Roman emperor's thing, palace, march in, stab him, and take over. That's what we need. And that's what they were expecting. But Jesus is laying a a groundwork here that gets fleshed out through his ministry. That the revolution, there is a revolution coming. And that revolution is that the kingdom of God is coming to earth. But but it's not going to be on the backs of the shed blood of other people. That's not what's going to bring the kingdom of God, Jesus says. What's going to bring the kingdom of God is the shedding of one's own sin. This is what's going to bring the kingdom. The true kingdom of God exists when people live under the rule of God, following his plans, his desires, and his will. When we seek God above all else, that's the kingdom. And that's what was coming in Christ. That's what he says. He was coming to show all of humanity that what it really looked like to live under the kingdom of God, live in the kingdom of God. And we see that in Jesus. He lived perfectly, never sinning a single time, always having fellowship with God. He showed us what it looked like, and then through salvation in him, we can receive the Holy Spirit, which enables us to be able to live for God too. This is Jesus' message, church. If you believe, and this was, this was the message I was told as a kid too, that the gospel, the story of Christ is that he came and died for you so that you can go to heaven someday. And like, I'm not saying that's not true, okay? You're about to throw stones at me or something. But that's so little of what Jesus actually said. Jesus talks more about the kingdom of God, not one day, but now. And that was 2,000 years ago. The story, the, the message of Christ is not accept Christ today and one day you'll get to live in the kingdom. The call is to accept it now. And that's what we begin to see. Jesus, his, the thing that was different about his message in verse 21 of chapter 1, they went into Capernaum right away. He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. He began to teach. And they were astonished at his teaching. As one, he was teaching as one who had authority. <laughs> That's supposed to be humorous. Yeah, he's got authority. He spoke things like God spoke through him and brought things into existence. Yeah, he's kind of a big deal. He's the son of God, eternal being. Like That's, He is a big deal. It wasn't the message necessarily, but the authority by which he spoke. And then he begins to, to show them that he, is, he does have authority. He drives out a demon. They bring a man who's demon-possessed into the synagogue. And it says this, after he drives out the demon, they were all amazed. They began to ask each other, what is this? A teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once, news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. So news starts spreading. Jesus is no longer just an out-of-town teacher who, who, who the people might want to listen to. He's a prophet who's performing incredible miracles. And Mark helps us see, point number three, that Jesus starts developing a following. 
So we start seeing about Jesus' following. The crowds begin to come. People wanted to be around Jesus. They wanted to be healed. Verses 32 through 34 tell us that when evening came after the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and, and drove out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Did you catch that? The whole town. Now give Mark some liberty here, okay? I don't think Mark meant the whole town. Y'all have read books before, right? Like Mark's saying, a whole bunch of people. It seemed like the whole town came. A bunch of people have gathered at the door where Jesus is and everyone wants the same thing. They want to be healed or they want to watch other people healed. There's this huge crowd and, and it's this same crowd that begins to follow him for the next eight chapters of the book of Mark. He's already called some of his close disciples to follow him in a, in a different kind of way. And Mark records right after this in chapter 1 that he calls some more. But the early chapters of Mark are retelling these interactions with large people. That's what we're going to be doing the next three weeks, looking at these things, these interactions. But why? Why did Jesus do this? Was it just to heal people? Was it just to, uh, to, to try to develop a following? Was Jesus trying to be an ancient version of a celebrity, like a TikTok star? I think that's the only way you can get famous now through TikTok, right? I think. Um, I don't try, but uh, trying to get his picture on, I don't know what the equivalent of your picture, like as the times person of the year, I don't know what that was 2,000 years ago, but like, is that what Jesus is trying to do? Or people's sexiest man alive? Is that what Jesus was, I don't, that's weird, sorry. I believe Jesus was intentionally trying to draw a crowd, but I don't believe it was so that he would become more popular, it was so that more people could hear the message that I just shared with you. And that is, join me in the kingdom here, now. Repent and believe the good news and experience the kingdom now. And it was an offer to everyone. At the end, so we're moving our way to Mark chapter 8 over the next four weeks. I'm going to go ahead and give you a teaser, Mark eight thirty four. This is Jesus calling the crowd along with his disciples. So his disciples are there, but there's a huge crowd gathered with them. He said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That statement wasn't made to his closest disciples. It was made to the multitudes. It was made to the masses who had gathered to see him just do some miracles. Right? They were expecting Jesus to continue to do these good things and continue to teach with power. But he wasn't doing those things for them. He was doing those things so that they would come and hear the message. And he was inviting them to join him. Join him in a different way of living. It's important to understand that everything Jesus did was to show people what the kingdom was supposed to look like. Honestly, a life without the repercussions of sin. I'll show you what I mean by that. Think about it. Why were there sick people in Capernaum in chapter 1? Because sin is in the world. And the world we live in is broken and... That was not God's original intent, but when man sinned, a lot of stuff came with it. And one of those was sickness. Why were people possessed by demons in Capernaum? Because man's a sinner and the world we live in is broken. The way that Jesus taught and the miracles he performed were all about giving people glimpses 
of life without the effects of sin. Not that man deserved these actions, but Jesus was giving them a glimpse of the kingdom. What would it look like for mankind to live completely under the rule and reign of Jesus, I mean of, of God? What would that look like? No sickness, no possession by demons, perfect relationships, no bitterness, no brokenness, no shame. Jesus was pulling back the curtain a tiny bit to show them this is what the kingdom looks like. This is what it was supposed to be from the very beginning, but until we messed it up. And then after he gave them a glimpse, he would say, now follow me and let's do it together. Don't follow me because of what I've done for you. Don't follow me because you got to see cool stuff. Don't follow me because I'm a good teacher. Don't follow me because you think there's something promised for you at the end of your life. Follow me because you want to be a partner in the kingdom of God here on earth. And church, I'll say nothing has changed. Nothing. The call is the same for us today. I can say the same words of Jesus, not as some sort of prophet and weird you out. Like I'm just saying... The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Partner with Christ in His kingdom. Live now, today, under the rule and reign of God, with the Spirit of God in you to guide you, not waiting till one day I'm going to live that way when, when, when I die and I get to go to heaven, but partner with God now. And what happens is then we get to show glimpses of life without the effects of sin to other people. This is what the call of the Christian is. Show grace where it's not deserved. That's the kingdom of God here on earth. Serve others instead of looking to be served. That's the kingdom of God here on earth. Give to those in need sacrificially. That's the kingdom of God here on earth. Help the helpless. Show love to the unlovable. Give hope to the hopeless. That's the kingdom of God, church. This is why so many Christians are not living as Christians because they're choosing the way of the world over the ways of the kingdom. And I pray that God would help us to give people glimpses of the kingdom that this community that surrounds this church would not have to dream of what that would look like, but that we could give them little glimpses of it. I believe one of the best ways we can do that is by what happens on Sunday morning. If you've been here less than five times, you get to take a break for a second, okay? If you've been here more than five, this is for you, okay? Because you keep coming back, so here we go. I want to speak to those who call East home for a bit, okay? And this speaks to me too, okay? So this isn't a this isn't a bashing thing. This is something I'm dealing with too. What question is on your mind when you come in on the weekends here? What question is on your mind? Is it others focused or is it me centered? And before you start putting spiritual spins on things, let me go on and rope that in too. I mean, definitely if you're coming just to like hobnob with me i don't know what else you would like the coffee i don't know if it's good enough worth coming for like it's good but like i don't i'm pretty sure you could probably get some better coffee somewhere right i don't know if it's the you don't know about the snacks a lot of you so you didn't come for the snacks they are here if you can find them miss cheryl always does an awesome job at bringing snacks they're for volunteers volunteering you volunteer for the snacks but 
even if, so if you're coming for any, any reasons like that, but even if you're coming for, for spiritual reasons that are me-centered, like I want to be fed today, or I want to be invested in, I need to be filled up today. Can I tell you, that's not a kingdom mindset. I love you, and I hope you are filled up, and I hope you are fed today, but like that's not a kingdom mindset. If your first priority, however, in coming here on Sunday is looking for someone new, someone hurting, someone in need, and making them feel welcome and loved, that's the kingdom, baby. That's it. So which mindset do you have about coming to this place? Now let's take it a step further. Because it's easy to... It's easy to be nice here, isn't it? You know, like God's word's being open. We got worship music. Like everybody's smiling at the door. It's easy to be nice here. Let's talk about your workplace. Do you leave your kingdom mindset at home with your Bible? It's no holds barred when I go to work, though. <laughs> Let's. Uh, do you care to Target? I don't know why. Fill in the blank with whatever place you shop. I had a husband call out his wife for not carrying her kingdom mindset on the road in traffic. Whatever fits. <laughs> you carry it to the, the ball field with you, to the restaurant. Do you see this? The message of Christ was the kingdom of God has come near. And you and I get to show the reality of that to other people. And we don't get to choose when we do it. Now, we're all works in progress, okay? But if we don't ask God to redeem those parts of us that we're struggling with, we'll never get there because you're not strong enough. This is the call of Christ, kingdom mindset. This is what God's called us to. Not that there's heaven for you one day. I don't know why you signed up for Christianity. I don't know why you trusted in Christ for the first time. But if it wasn't, if it, if it was because you thought God was promising a kingdom of heaven for you one day, I'm here to tell you, I'm not saying that your faith, your faith is fake. I believe you can still be a Christian, but I'm, I'm telling you that what you misunderstood was that the kingdom is supposed to be here now. Christian life is not a life of waiting. It is, but it's here and now. And you and I get to partner with God and show glimpses of the kingdom to those around us. But for some of you, you may not have yet trusted in this message. For you, Jesus' message hasn't changed either. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Today, the good news that I'm here to tell you is that Christ died on the cross for your sins so that you don't have to pay the punishment for your sins because you ain't man enough to. Your sins deserve you, bring about a, a, a punishment that deserves to be separated from God. But Christ took all the separation as he took on our sin, and now you and I don't have to be separated from God. And not only, that's a cool thing, but because he died on the cross for our sins and then was raised again on the third day, you and I actually get to live as partakers of the kingdom here on earth and show that kingdom here in Harvest, in Limestone, Madison, North Alabama, the United States, and the world. We get to take part in that kingdom today. If you've never trusted in that message, you can today.
But in exactly what Jesus said, repent and believe the good news. Repent is a fancy word, churchy Bible word. It just means turning from your sin. So turn from your sin, in so doing, turning back to God and asking God to save you because you believe the message that Christ died for you. If you need help trusting in that today, somebody to walk through that with you, um, that's part of the reason why we sing another song uh, at the end of our service. Uh, I always stand down here or sit on the front row. It's an opportunity for you to just come and let me know, hey, man, uh, I need to trust in Jesus. And I'd love to talk with you about how you can trust in Jesus. Well, we always have counselors by the back door as well that you can go back there and talk with them. Um, and so if you'd like to begin that journey, please let us know during this last song. Uh, we want badly to help you take that next step. Um, I'll be up front and decision counselors by the back door. But uh, this, this last song is also an opportunity for those of us who have trusted in Christ uh, to quit to quit waiting. Let's quit living lives waiting as if we don't have to do anything for God here, as if God had, there's no call on our lives here. But let's live. Let's take up the, the banner of the kingdom of God and let's begin to live for that. If there's sins you need to repent of this week, sins in which you didn't live for the kingdom, in which you didn't show glimpses of God to the kingdom, that's been on my heart all morning as I've preached this message for myself. How many opportunities I missed, how many things I did that did not lead people to see glimpses of what it looks like to see the world without sin. But I want this week to be different. Amen. And I think if we'd all admit we got work to do in getting there. So let's all take a next step this week. You can pray during this time. Uh, you can come bring alt, bring come to this altar and bring requests or for yourself or other people. But let's all commit today to take a next step this week towards living for the kingdom. I'm going to say a word of prayer. After that prayer, we're going to stand, sing this song. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. And then uh, you can respond however God leads, okay? Let's pray.